Let's cut right to the chase. Seven days ago at the Survivor Series, did you or did you not screw Bret Hart? Some would say, I screwed Bret Hart. Bret Hart would definitely tell you, I screwed him. I look at it from a different standpoint. I look at it from the standpoint of the referee did not screw Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels certainly did not screw Bret Hart. Nor did Vince McMahon screw Bret Hart. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. And he can look in the mirror and know that. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 61, WWF Survivor Series 1997, The Montreal Screwjob. So the episodes that always get everyone excited. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's been almost 30 episodes and a few give us a second's. Since the last time we did a wrestling history lesson. To so. uh, get myself ready for this one, I listened to the NWO episode, and I just finished it earlier. And at some point towards the end, you were like, yeah, we'll probably do another wrestling... Or we'll probably never do another wrestling one again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think towards the end of almost every episode, I feel like we'll probably never do another episode <laughs> again. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's be brief here in our introduction. Um, you know the deal. You know the score. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Things are really taking off in the Twitterverse <laughs> for us. Picking up some new followers. Rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, that's, I know you know that probably goes in one ear and out the other for most of our listeners, but it's a it's a big deal. I mean, if you have access to iTunes on something, yeah, your iPod, your computer, your iPad. Your phone. Just subscribe. I'll say this too. It's like, you know, no knock to the uh, regularly participating Ask Clown community listeners, but it's like, I know, you know, there might be a little bit of pushback when we dive into the world of wrestling a little bit, but guess what? 90% of the most downloaded podcasts are like wrestling podcasts. Yeah. It's like, if you look at that, it's like. (laughs) This is like, yeah, I mean, this is basically just us trying to cash in. Like, we'll, yeah. we'll, we're going to be doing, like, true crime oh, yeah. stories <laughs> coming up to, yeah. ca- to try to get in on that. Right. We're actually going to be doing, like, a Adnan Syed episode next. I don't see why we don't just do the Aaron Hernandez thing. <laughs> it is a great moment yeah, in the history of forever. We can start, you know, talking about the Aaron Hernandez I knew wouldn't do that. <laughs> Who's saying that, Marquise Pouncey? <laughs> um, Free Hernandez. So, yeah, I mean, we appreciate the listeners we have. We would love to have some more, so why don't you tell some friends about it, really get that word going. We we really want the summer of 2017 to be the summer of the greatest moments in the history of forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is news to me, though. I, I think we'll that. be doing like a live show 
in the coming months. So oh, I'd agree with that. Get yeah. ready. A live show from our living room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, do we have anything else to say? I think, you know, unexpectedly took kind of a break. We gave you a little treat with the give us a second to hold you over because this one took forever. Hopefully we're going to get back on track with the scheduling. I know some of the ass clowns out there were upset that things weren't, you know, yeah. showing up on time. We had a big uh, pre-show or pre-recording uh, meeting to discuss the new schedule where... Yeah, and Matt was not happy about I'm it. I'm cooperative, I'd say. Mr. Plans. Oh. I was like, what are we... <laughs> He's like, too many things. <laughs> I, I don't know. And I'm like, what things? Yeah, that's no a good... Answer. I was like, that. you know what? That's a great point. All right, so yeah, expect just a flood of new episodes. Um, actually, I'm real. I mean, I know, like as you kind of alluded to, you know, not all of our listeners are necessarily wrestling fans, so it's like, well, they might check out. Although I think, I think like we make this entertaining and fun, even if you don't have any clue what we're talking about. But I think uh, the format of the NWO one is like specifically kind of cool. I'm it's a little bit I, different than most of our. I'm episodes. really super proud of that episode. Yeah, except for the fact that you messed up the beginning, oh. and that is hard to get over. I didn't but. think we were ever actually going to talk about that <laughs> on the show. <laughs> I'm very self conscious about that. All right, forget it then. You can del- you can erase that. Um, Cut that out. No, what I was going to say was all right. So you know, some people might not be super invested in this one, but I'm super pumped about the upcoming schedule we have right now a lot of like really potentially fun good episodes yeah i mean i'm sure not everyone who's going to see the episodes as they come into their feed are going to be thinking what are they talking about but you know blockbuster season for the show (sighs) well yeah kind of (laughs) (laughs) i just for us like ones that are in our wheelhouse i think oh hopefully yep so i guess um I guess we can just uh, get into it. All right. So, uh, you know, if you listen to the earlier episodes of the show, I think, you know, this will kind of follow the same format more or less to the uh, NWO episode that we did a while back. Although, how long ago was that? That was like last summer. Holy shit, really? I think it was like in like August or something. Oh, boy. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Somehow we've only done like 30 actual episodes since then, but I, I guess know. that makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. We got real sporadic in November and December, remember? Yeah, well that was at, that's kind of like the cool down after the big October. Yeah, that's true, although hopefully we'll be a little bit better prepared this year for that. Yeah. Um all right, so way back in episode 32 of our podcast, we discussed the rise of the NWO and Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling, an angle that would push that company to new heights in popularity and success, temporarily knocking Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation from its long-held throne atop the pro wrestling world. In response to this new, very real threat, McMahon was forced to take his company in a completely different direction. Something longtime fans of the WWF had never seen before. Gone were the cheesy characters, the often silly matches, and wholesome family entertainment. McMahon noted a change in the culture as evidenced by the popularity of things like South Park and the Jerry Springer show and knew the direction he needed to go. As 1997 wound down, the WWF started relying more and more on heightened sexuality, more realistic and brutal violence, coarse language, and characters that better reflected the audience. 
Wrestlers would no longer be handed clown or garbage man gimmicks. Instead, they were encouraged to be larger-than-life versions of themselves and to speak their minds. Almost nothing was to be off-limits. This was the dawn of what would become known as the Attitude Era. It has been said that anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation, but now more than ever, truer words have never been spoken. This is a conscious effort on our part to open the creative envelope, so to speak, in order to entertain you in a more contemporary manner. Even though we call ourselves sports entertainment because of the athleticism involved, the key word in that phrase is entertainment. The WWF extends far beyond the strict confines of sports presentation into the wide-open environment of broad-based entertainment. We borrow from such program niches like soap operas, like the days of our lives, or music videos such as those on MTV, daytime talk shows like Jerry Springer and others, cartoons like the King of the Hill on Fox, sitcoms like Seinfeld, and other widely accepted forms of television entertainment. We in the WWF think that you, the audience, are quite frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. We also think that you're tired of the same old simplistic theory of good guys versus bad guys. Surely the era of the superhero who urged you to say your prayers and take your vitamins is definitely passe. Therefore, we've embarked upon a far more innovative and contemporary creative campaign that is far more invigorating and extemporaneous than ever before. However, due to the live nature of Raw and the war zone, we encourage some degree of parental discretion as it relates to the younger audience allowed to stay up late. Other WWF programs on USA, such as Saturday Morning Livewire and Sunday Morning Superstars, where there's a 40% increase in the younger audience, obviously, however, need no such discretion. We are responsible television producers who work hard to bring you this outrageous, wacky, wonderful world known as the WWF. Through some 50 years, the World Wrestling Federation has been an entertainment mainstay here in North America and all over the world. One of the reasons for that longevity is as the times have changed, so have we. I'm happy to say that this new vibrant creative direction has resulted in a huge increase in television viewership, for which we thank USA Network and TSN for allowing us to have the creative freedom, but most especially, we would like to thank you for watching. Raw and the War Zone are definitely the cure for the common show. Okay, so this is this t- time period that we're talking about specifically. Um, this was like slightly before you jumped in. Yeah, but I will say I was familiar with wrestling. You know, I would hang out with uh, other young males and, <laughs> <laughs> and watch. There was light you horseplay. Know, well, it's just like <laughs> you do the th- you, you stay over the house with a group of dudes, right? I mean, you right, can, yeah. You remember this time? Yeah, like second grade and stuff. And it's like, that's what, okay, they're watching Raw or whatever. And and also, I did play like, I don't I think Sega, like the video game. So it's like, yeah. whatever version of WWF on Sega I had, it had like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, I'm trying to think, uh, Sid Vicious, uh, who did the torture rack? Lex Luthor. Lex Luger. Or Lex Luger. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's fair to say that, uh, for a certain age, Doink the clown. It would be impossible to be completely oblivious to professional wrestling for to be a, a young kid, right. a boy in an elementary. I think I, you know, first got introduced to it in elementary school. Uh, other kids talking about it, and then yeah, it went from there. And you know, the whole reason of bringing up this kind of shift to the attitude era is to kind of put into context what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Um, you know, when it took place and, you know, some reasons as to maybe why. For those not familiar with it, I think 
it'll be like an interesting thing to learn about because it's kind of a, a unique thing that really yeah it's i mean this is the match we're going to be discussing between Shawn michaels and bret hart at survivor series 1997 is probably the most talked about professional wrestling match in history if not just wwf i don't know but it, it certainly yeah. has been debated discussed ad nauseum amongst wrestling fans and, and it's certainly just such a significant moment you know that really does mark a change and so as we talked about in the nwo episode a lot of the big stars from wwf uh were leaving for WCW, they were being offered a lot more money and guaranteed contracts and such like that. And the WWF was kind of in crisis mode. And so Bret Hart, who had been like a longtime star in that company, WWF, uh, he had been given a 20-year contract uh, just a year prior in 1996. And by 97, things were in such dire straits that, you know, it was becoming harder for Vince to live up to that contract. And so... Now, the what did ball. that contract look like? I mean, was it just... I guess it, he had to do so many days in a year. That's kind of how these contracts worked. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, you probably got more... For, and you got more for TV appearances. Yeah, and like there was a... I think like generally wrestling contracts had a downside guarantee. So you were guaranteed a certain amount of money, and then obviously you could earn a lot more depending on where you were on the card and all that kind of stuff and how many dates you worked and whatnot. And then Brett's contract was one of kind of unprecedented loyalty to one particular person because it was kind of to go beyond his actual in-ring career and then he would kind of take a front office position. Be a part of the company. Yeah. I mean, a 20-year deal at that stage in Brett's life because I think he had uh you know just turned 40 oh, or something yeah. like that was kind of like kind of it, it was equivalent to almost up. Yeah. like a lifetime contract kind right. of thing but you know within basically a year of signing that deal which i think he signed in september of 96 uh vince was already kind of it is getting cold feet about it i am wondering uh vince's kind of whole mindset leading into that contract because that seems like kind of a risky business move anyway a 20 year deal for i think anything. well i think a lot of it came from you know losing razor ramon and right. diesel earlier in 1996 he was panicking a little bit to lose razor ramon diesel and bret hart all within you know six months in 96 would have been extraordinarily catastrophic they Even, haven't really developed a lot more new stars at this point right and i think even you know, a year and a couple months later, when we get to November of 97, I remember as a, as a young fan thinking that Bret Hart leaving was still catastrophic. I was, I, I still, as I talked about in the NWO episode, I mean, I was having a hard time processing how this was all happening and yeah. how it would even be remotely possible for them to survive At losing first, all these uh, people. Vince was thinking that if he lost Bret, he was going to have to call up Ultimate Warrior. And be like, I need you, pal. Well, Ultimate Warrior did come back in '96, oh. All right. um, and worked that like one minute match against Hunter Hearst Helms. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, but of course that you know quickly burned out and was over pretty fast. So, what does any of this have to do with Survivor Series '97? I think we kind of just addressed that. But anyway, what exactly is a screw job in the world of pro wrestling? Oh yeah, I assure you, we'll get you there. You might need to explain. <laughs> But first, I thought it would be important to establish the world in which the Montreal Screwjob took place. 
It was very much still wrestling's version of the Wild West. I've already mentioned the sex and violence, but add to that the outlandish storylines, surprise defections from one company to a rival, and live raucous crowds, and then you've successfully cultivated a feeling amongst your audience that they can't miss a moment. In the shadow of the NWO, the Attitude Era saved the WWF, and ultimately the true genius or the true genesis of the era came not with the likes of Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock, though they were both major players. It didn't come from the Pillman's Got a Gun angle or the arrival of the groundbreakingly bizarre Gold Dust character. It didn't start with Sable's surgically enhanced chest or Val Venus's maybe amputated penis or with mankind being thrown off of the top of a steel cell down to the concrete floor below. No, the Attitude Era really began with the creation of wrestling's biggest heel character ever. Whether intentional or not, on November 9th, 1997, Vince McMahon would become the most hated man in wrestling. And in this particular line of work, being truly hated by the fans equals nothing but money. In a world where almost everything is a work, all it took was one moment of reality infringing upon the predetermined storylines to change everything forever. So the Mr. McMahon character was not quite what we would become accustomed to over the next couple of years, you know, predominantly in like 98, 99. exclusively familiar with. Right. I think leading up to Survivor Series 97, Vince was the prime, was still the primary play-by-play guy for the company. Um, Whenever- and it, his role as like the owner slash CEO wasn't really addressed on television. Whenever we watch this old footage, because it's like, I'm really only mostly aware of watching when Vince McMahon is this sort of heel character on TV. So it's like when we watch this old footage, I'm always sort of like compelled thinking about like what we're going through people's minds when it's like the guy that owns the company is doing like play by play commentary. And I'm sure like probably people didn't really think about it. I only think about it that way because I know what he become. Well, yeah, I mean, it. It was a situation where as like a kid, I think my dad told me like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that owns the company. And I'm like, oh, okay, But it it still didn't really like make sense to me because it was just like this over the top guy who did that. Like, (laughs) welcome, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, but he would like real low with his voice, too. (laughs) (laughs) And every every uh, pinfall attempt was he got him. No, (laughs) like it was always the same. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were like, uh, I think Vince as an announcer uh, is hard to go back and look at now. But like at the time, I think it was just kind of how wrestling was. Right. It was very cartoonish and over the top. The oh, I'm not familiar with that. The kind of like reality based storylines hadn't really kind made of, their way in yet. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't as like kind of realistic as they would try to become you know in the later 90s and early 2000s so it was kind of like it fit with the times so out of everything that is about to transpire and i promise we're actually going to get to it here in a second the end result for the wwf and vince mcmahon is kind of this insanely fortunate turn of events that i that it, it seems pretty much impossible that they could have predicted which is that the over the top play by play guy is going to suddenly transform into this very real 
evil, sadistic boss ownership character. Yeah, that will, of course, play the perfect foil to this up-and-coming babyface that is really getting all of the fans behind him named Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then they'll lead like this great feud that will kind of carry the company to finally surpass what WCW has with, you know, the NWO storyline, which by, you know, 98 had started to kind of get old because as we talked about in that episode, it began in the summer of 96 and was still going and going and going. And so, you know, kind of with the help of different things like getting Mike Tyson involved and, um, Stone Cold becoming, you know, like the champion eventually. And then, you know, um, the continued popularity of DX and then the the rise of The Rock as a huge character. Oh, yeah. You know, they're able to finally, you know, put WCW in the rearview mirror, but none of that could have been predicted with what happened back at Survivor Series 97. Oh, Michael's just pulled a referee right in front of the hitman. What about that? Michael's pulled referee Earl Hebner right in front of Bret Hart. And I think Hart and the referee hit head. Is that a disqualification? It might be if he could get up and call it. And again, Michael's raking the face. What is, look at this. Oh, you're kidding me. Michael's, are you gonna try to beat Bret Hart with a sharpshooter? Yes, he is. Are you kidding me? I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. What happened? What happened? Hart gave up with a This crowd is living. Michael for the sharpshooter has become champion. And Bret Hart is standing in disbelief. Ladies and gentlemen, good night from Montreal. Okay, so this is from Wikipedia. Uh, The Montreal Screwjob was an infamous and controversial, legitimate professional wrestling incident in which World Wrestling Federation owner Vince McMahon and WWF employees covertly manipulated the predetermined outcome of the match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at the 1997 Survivor Series. So I think the first thing to address here is, we know that wrestling is fake and predetermined. Yeah, but it's like this whole other world where things are constantly not as they seem, even like... The people who are in on it might not always know what the hell's going on. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you could just throw out, oh, we're pulling a swerve tonight. And it's like, okay, who knows about this? Like, you know what I mean? Right. It's like a constant well, struggle to figure out what the fuck is real. I, I, I seem to recall when we did the NWO episode, we had to kind of, you know, justify in our mind or, you know, on the mic as to why we were doing it and, you know, kind of defend pro wrestling. In oh, a sense. yeah. But like. It really is true that there is no form of pro wrestling. It's completely I was unique. This the other day to somebody. Don't it's not it. really. It, 
people who aren't fans of it and don't get invested in it and know you know kind of what's going on uh they don't really get that just because it's predetermined how much is like kind of in play at any given moment how things can change on a dime how there's all these moving parts and it's it's basically like full contact improv with a bunch of people who are still kind of in this carny independent uh contractor mindset where right, like where yeah they work for a company but like the audience at all times yeah it's, it's like a show but it it it's reactive it's constantly changing and like even the people that are involved don't know what's going on half the time yeah i mean there's there's lots of things where in order to successfully um get an angle over with the audience which would kind of translate to meaning you know to make the audience buy into it as much as possible that sometimes you know people within the company aren't aware that something is scripted or fake or yeah and there's this whole like reality where it's like these people are these characters but then like their real lives and real feuds kind of like bleed into their characters right and, and i people mean get pissed and it's like, yeah, wins and losses aren't real, but uh, guys get mad about it still. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, you could say that a lot of it ties back to money because the if it's not like you work on a television show and you sign a contract for a specific amount of money. As I mentioned before, there are these things called downside guarantees. That's all your contract is for, and that might be for a relatively small amount. The amount that you make over your downside guarantee kind of depends on how big of a star you are and how big of a star you become and where you work on the card. And if you, no matter what the crowd's reaction is to you, no matter how much merchandise you sell, which, you know, you get a percentage of that too, but it all comes down to if you're the champion and you're working in the main event, you're making the most money. That's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if you're the biggest star or not. If you're the champion, you're getting the most money. That's how wrestling works. And, you know, a lot of guys take a lot of pride. And Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were two guys that were unbelievable in-ring performers. They could put on amazing matches um, that the audience would get fully invested in and... You know, sus- there's always the suspension of disbelief, and you know they could work, you know, different kinds of styles. Especially Shawn Michaels, oh, yeah. who could have great matches with. Some of us argue Shawn Michaels is the greatest uh, in-ring performer of all time. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people believe that, and so there's a lot of professional pride that goes into it. And you know, I think when talking about Bret Hart, I think it's important to mention that you know he kind of sometimes is accused of being a mark for himself uh, and for the belt and I stuff will like say, that. He comes off in a lot of these interviews. He's a little dense. He's very <laughs> wholesome, but Yeah, I think he in a lot of ways t- takes things very seriously and like I said, is kind of a mark for himself cuz like ultimately he's Bret Hart's biggest fan. Yeah, and I think, you know, whether or not him losing the title to uh, Shawn Michaels in Montreal in 1997, you know, shouldn't have it shouldn't have actually mattered as much right. as, as 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 that's the reason you know he di- he didn't want to lose it to him in this match and in, in this city which is you know Canada being his home country and everything and that's kind of what we're gonna get to but like yeah. ultimately it's just you're not really winning or losing a fight obviously and so it's like yes <laughs> yeah. I will say this about uh, Bret Hart too and a lot of, a lot of these interviews we watch. So he he kind of annoys me with this whole like wholesome thing and 
like his memories of kind of being like resistant to the like the changes going into more of that reality era. But I will say it is like endearing how much of a worker he is like in how dedicated to the business he is. Right. Yeah. You definitely can't fault him for that. And that's the that's what we're ultimately, I think, going to learn about the Montreal Screwjob is there are legitimate arguments on both sides. I think you can uh, form your own opinion and and be totally justified. And I, and I do think there is kind of one ultimate opinion that makes the most sense when you view everything. But everybody kind of had legitimate motivations, including Bret Hart, who you would think would just kind of do what he's asked and move on with his life. But like there, he had you know plenty of legitimate points on his side. Yeah, um, I mean, he definitely, you know, comes across a, as a, a victim in all this, for sure. So, I don't really buy it. After watching a lot of this shit, it's it's hard to buy into this, you know, idea at all of Brett screwing Brett, you know? Well, we can talk about what that probably meant and why it yeah, was but, important to say it at that time. But, um, okay, so leading into Survivor Series 97, as I mentioned earlier, Vince kind of orchestrates Brett to leave his whole like departure from WWF for WCW. Vince is having trouble financially meeting Brett's contract, but I think more importantly from Vince's perspective, it's not that he doesn't have the money to give to Vince or to Brett. It's is Brett worth this investment anymore? Because I think Vince saw the writing on the wall with the direction the company was going to go in and Brett right. did not really fit in anymore. Well, I mean, you explained this to me, a, b- a big part of it, right, is the company was going public or whatever and they were trying to get rid of these long-term commitments, right? Yeah, that is the other thing. The The first thing is the actual money and, you know, story-wise, d- company direction-wise, Brett was going to start to have a diminished role because... They wanted to kind of go in an edgier direction that Brett was not going to really be a part of. He, his right. character didn't fit it. He wasn't good at it. He didn't really want to do it. Now, is this kind of similar to what happened with Macho Man? Because I, I kind of wasn't. They had put him on commentary at one point while he was still in WWF. That was more. The, 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 well, I don't know. Oh, okay. that's like I don't a know. whole. I, I don't know much about that. That's what I was. That and then he, but he ended up wrestling in a wa- for a while in WCW after that. Yeah, I mean, I think Vince originally did kind of have the idea that certain guys were too old. I think he's since obviously. Oh yeah. Moved on. Now from he that. only relies on those guys. But um, Brett, who had been with the company for fourteen years, had been pretty much as loyal as could be. Um, was going to be didn't on his really, way out, and didn't really seem to, at least looking back on it in these uh, specials we watched on it didn't really seem to be too much of an attitude problem either he didn't really seem to have a problem putting guys over or doing what they wanted him to do for the most part right yeah i mean this was this incident is kind of like a an isolated thing i mean this is right. not something that was like typical of if anything uh, i mean even sean michael seems to admit that he was way more of a pain in the ass about you know well, Brett was, or was just full generally well liked amongst the majority of the locker room, and Sean was the definitely boys in the back. not. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, what it boils down to is Brett becomes uh, the champion at SummerSlam '97 in August. It's now getting to the point where he's going to be leaving. I think officially his contract starts in early December of '97. 
Survivor Series is taking place November 7th. So there's about a month of leeway there, but this is going to be the last uh, major pay-per-view that Brett's going to be appearing on for WWF. So it all kind of boils down to Vince wants him to drop the title, but Brett doesn't want to drop the title in Canada. More specifically, he doesn't want to drop the title to Shawn Michaels in Canada. Now, for a whole litany of reasons, there's actual legitimate, real bad blood between the two of them. Right. It all. The most important thing is a few months beforehand, Sean told Brett that he would never put him over in a match. He would never lose to Brett. Now, that's going to piss off a fellow worker. Yeah, because ultimately this is all about respect. Um, Brett had... They're all on the same team here. They're supposed to be in this business together. Yeah. I mean, Sean had lost to Brett in years past, but not recently leading up to this. Um, It all kind of starts at WrestleMania 1996, which would have been WrestleMania 12. Um, Sean wins the title from Brett in a 60-minute Ironman match in which neither of them score any Until, like, the last few minutes, right? Well, no. It went the full 60 at 0-0, and then they add the five-minute sudden death overtime, and Sean finally wins the title. But pretty iconic match all around. Shawn Michaels' intro comes to mind. Yeah. (laughs) Like, gliding in from the rafters on a zip line. And so, in Brett's mind, he's thinking this is all going to be building towards a rematch at the next year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 13, um, in which he'll get the win back from Sean. Um, Sean has a supposed knee injury that prevents him from returning the favor, as it's called. And um, A lot of questions going on about the legitimacy of that knee injury. Yeah, I mean, Brett never really believed the knee injury. Sean... Although the reasons to fake it, I don't really... To not put Brett over. Well, I know, but, but he actually retired for a little while. Well, I mean, he stopped doing matches. I mean, he was still around. Okay. I mean, you know, we watched the, you know... I only got the highlights of this time period, so... Yeah, I mean, we watched what Sean was saying, which was, you know, he was kind of told this by one doctor, and then, you know, eventually Dr. James Andrews looks at it, and it's just like, right. well, this is what your knee's going to look like because you're a wrestler, and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of lessened the diagnosis of never being able to wrestle again kind there. of thing. Meanwhile, Vince handing James Andrews like thousands of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, this kind of perceived lack of respect between the two kind of grows. Um, you know, leading up to in the months leading up to Survivor Series, there was some there were constant backstage arguing between the two, and eventually it led to a physical fight backstage at a house show in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, oh wow. Which basically backyard. resulted in Sean being suspended for a couple of months. Oh, and really? Things were pretty heated between the two at this time. A couple of months is a pretty legitimate suspension. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there may have been more to the story. I don't know. Um, and I mean, the the kind of the rivalry between the two of them was like we talked about earlier. You know, as far as like real life kind of playing into the storylines and and whatnot. Um, it became very personal and for, you know, f- for whatever reasons we can kind of, you know, roll our eyes at it, but, you know, Brett did take, um, Sean mocking and insulting the Canadian flag and the Canadian fans very personally oh, yeah. and mocking, uh, Brett's family, um, 
specifically his, his dad, dad. Stu Hart. You know, he didn't like that kind of stuff. He wasn't really built for this kind of below the belt shots, reality based yeah. attitude era kind of stuff. And one of the you know major highlights. He was more used to like promos, like I'm gonna beat you up. Yeah, like. <laughs> I'm going to win and you're going to lose <laughs> at WrestleMania. <laughs> and it all the one of the more famous uh things out of this is what has become kind of known as the uh Sunny Days promo. Brett, believe me. You couldn't go 10 minutes in any situation if you know what I mean. Oh boy. And uh Listen here, even though, even though lately you've had some sunny days, my friend, you still can't get the job done. The heartbreak kid coming off a knee injury, you coming off a knee injury, they're all handcuffed. Hitman, I'm going to knock you down and drag you out. Now, I wish I knew more about this part of it. Anything with Sunny in it, I'm always like pretty interested well okay so for the people that just listen to that they're gonna think what the hell does that even mean in fact the ironic thing is i think most of the fans watching at the time probably had no idea what that even meant because it it, it is kind of vague i think you know maybe some older fans would make the connection as to what sean meant but it's it's you know it's not very specific now just for a little bit of a history lesson for the listeners and for me. Now, I know through all these like shoot interview things that we've watched that uh, Sonny and Sean had this whole thing. Was she actually like paired with him on screen? No. It, okay. So never they weren't. She wasn't like a valet for him at any point. No, no, no. So like people had to like kind of be in the know to it that if he was referencing Sonny, right and. It's weird because so I just always go. I mean, it's it's so strange to me to think about the '90s and like, I mean, these people on like dial-up internet (laughs) are like, you know, really getting it going together. Just the whole internet wrestling. Well, I mean, there were still like the the dirt sheets, the newsletters, and whatnot, and just you (laughs) know, printing out the the newsletters and handing them to their friends. Photocopying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it kind of was a more strained. Uh, smart community at the, in those days, but I mean, it definitely existed. So basically, Sonny uh, was someone who worked in WWF in the mid to late, late-ish 90s. Now, uh, very influential on a young Zach. I'm sure you'd agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was kind of um, mostly a valet for different tag teams and whatnot. Um, her real-life longtime boyfriend uh chris candido worked in wwf as the wrestler skip so they were Skip and sunny the bonnie Do- body donnas she kind of did different things she sometimes did like commentary or you know whatever they would have the women do in those days just different whatever modeling or something and uh it's kind of a long known thing that she carried on kind of a relationship a sexual relationship with Shawn michaels she wrote about it in her book, but I mean, it had been known way before that. She would go on to carry on sexual relationships with just, you know, random uh, homeless men after this, I'm sure, for <laughs> drugs later. <laughs> oh, boy. No, that's a um, 
so yeah, I mean things obviously, you know, really kind of got rough uh for Sunny for a while. But we're not we're, we would never trash <laughs> a legendary woman like that, so. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean she she kind of held nothing back in her book like detailing like how Sean liked to do her from behind in front of a mirror. <laughs> While she just kept putting on red lipstick over and over (laughs) while he was doing it. It was very strange. Sounds like a David Lynch movie or something. (laughs) But for whatever reason, I guess, you know, she kind of had um, one of those abrasive backstage personalities that clashed with a lot of people. However, it seems pretty widely accepted that she was very friendly with Bret Hart and the Hart family in general. Well, she was a fan. I guess, yeah. Well, she kind of let that on in one of the things that we saw. Sean, you know, used this against Bret and kind of took a cheap shot. Bret was a married man. For all we know, I mean, there doesn't really seem to be any evidence that they ever had any kind of, that Bret and Sonny had ever had any kind of sexual relationship. I don't, I mean, obviously I have no idea, but it doesn't seem like that's true, but yet... Although if she kind of was strutting around for him, that's a hard, you know... <laughs> it takes a, it takes a very strong-willed man. And, yeah, and I mean, Brett took this... Brett took this all as kind of a personal attack on, like, his family. Yeah. And this kind of furthered so. the narrative of his, you know, inability to adjust to the new WWF. Because this kind of thing was kind of the new norm. Now, this is very early days of this, but, you know, as the Attitude Era would progress, stuff like this was more and more common. And, it, you know, oh, they right. weren't afraid to tie in real-life stuff, especially as the internet wrestling community would grow and yeah. fans would get smarter and know more and more. It's like, why not throw in stuff that they know is true? That way it makes them think everything else is... You know what I mean? Like It, it would all lead to just sort of a you know, heartbreaking Matt Hardy, Lita Edge angle. <laughs> well, that could potentially be a future episode. Oh, Who yeah. knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, which would uh, at some point lead to live sex on Raw. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so Brett is, you know, not really willing to drop the title to Sean at Survivor Series 97 for all of these reasons. He has a... Now, did you... Uh, it just explain the thing too, just about the support from Canada in general. You mean what? Wait, Survivor Series '97 is the actual event, right? Yeah. So it's like just the idea of like not losing it in front of like this big Montreal Canadian crowd because of, you know, he's this big Canadian hero. <laughs> yeah, Brett for the duration of his career was beloved in Canada and is still considered uh, a national hero. Um, yeah. I mean, whenever someone does a sharpshooter in Canada, <laughs> it's just a monster pop from the crowd. Right. And so we understand that Brett doesn't want to drop the title. He's got these this personal animosity with Shawn Michaels. Their real-life rivalry is you know, really coming to a head. He doesn't really want to do the favor for Shawn after Shawn's made a comment to him of, I'm never going to put you over. I mean... Yeah. He, but being like a a fairly reasonable guy, he tells Vince McMahon like, "Look, I Let's will work it out. We'll do some. We'll figure it out. We'll do something here." He offers to lose the title to Steve Austin. He offers to uh, 
um, forfeit the title on Raw. He offers to lose the title on Raw the next night, which was still in Canada, but he wanted to beat Sean first. And then he would give it back. Right, the next night. But none of these solutions seemed uh, good enough to Vince. I think, partially, I think Vince wanted to, to do the title change at a pay-per-view because he was that was still, you know the days of the pay-per-views were supposed to mean more. That's you're what making, everyone's paying for. Yeah, yeah, you're charging the fans for it. Just to give it away for free on Raw wasn't the same. That's part of it. Another part of it, which was something that Brett himself mentioned in one of the uh, videos we watched, which was he had already exceeded his dates, his required dates for the year. So he, he could have theoretically just not... He could have maybe thought, well, Brett will show up for this pay-per-view because it's been advertised... However, he could just bail on showing up for the Raw. At this point, Brett has fulfilled his contract. He could kind of do whatever he wants. Right. So um, that's, I mean, that's a risky move when you're talking about, live, you know, for all, all intents and purposes, live television. All of this is kind of playing into Vince's Plus paranoia. Vince has kind of bailed on a contract, you know? So it's like, what does Brett owe him anymore? Even though Brett has been very loyal to Vince up to this point. Yeah, I mean... It was kind of just this tenuous situation that they seemingly booked themselves into without really thinking this all through. It's like, I don't know why they had Brett win the title at SummerSlam only a couple months before. It's like they had no foresight to see that this is potentially what, where they were going to have to go. Like, I don't know. It, it, it seems like everything was being decided in such a short amount of time, really. Oh, yeah. Because between basically September and October is when they probably have to be making the decisions of like, well, Brett's going to have to leave the company and all this stuff is happening while he's the champion. It just seems like... It is weird. It's kind of like... Awful timing, really. It feels like they should have gotten the belt off of him well before this. Yeah, you would think. Although, again, title changes weren't as frequent. That's true. Vince was probably at one point confident of where they were headed and then it wasn't until all of this, like you know, bullshit started between Brett and Sean that it became started to become like this huge issue. And who knows how much Vince was actually aware of as far as like them hating each other at the time, right? you know, for real. I mean, he, he might not have really thought this was going to be a problem until it actually got there. And one of the big things here, and we should bring this up, is it was not that long ago that the WWF had a woman wrestler named Alundra Blaze, who they had signed from WCW, who wrestled there as Medusa. They put the women's title on her. It was kind of a brief attempt at women's wrestling in the 90s. It never really went anywhere. She wrestled a couple of people. She was still the champion, and they didn't really use her anymore. And her contract ran up, and so she signed with WCW. And as we talked about in the NWO episode, Eric Bischoff, who was basically running the show in WCW, was kind of willing to do anything to, you know, to win this war that they basically started. So he had her show up on Nitro with the WWF women's title, and she just kind of took a microphone and basically shit all over the title and threw it in the trash, literally threw it in a garbage can. And, you know, granted, it was a title... Like I said, that they hadn't really been using anymore. She hadn't really been involved much or anything, but it was an embarrassment to Vince. I'll say this, and it's inconsequential to this whole story, but when you watch that clip, it feels sleazy. 
It feels like a cheesy move to me. Well, you like, can tell that it's not that hard to tell that she's not really the atmospherically, one. Atmospherically, it's awkward. Yeah, you can tell she's kind of t- saying what she's supposed to say. Yeah. And that this is clearly not her right. idea. Yeah. And I mean, you know, she did, she signed a contract. Like, Am and I so going to somehow get sued for this? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be like a little bit nervous. I'd be like, I better have my lawyers look over like what my last contract said exactly. And so Vince's worst nightmare is that something similar could happen to their main title. That would be insane. Yeah. Because basically. They spray paint NWO on it. <laughs> Brett has signed a contract with WCW, yet he's still holding the WWF title. And for those not familiar with professional wrestling, it's like the wrestlers who are the champions travel with the belts. They have the belts in their possession. It's everything well, yeah, is kind of treated know, as if it's real, even uh, though it's not. In the you know ostensible reality known as kayfabe, re- wrestlers are their characters at all times. So there's no reason why if. Uh, a wrestler is traveling through the airport why he shouldn't have his title belt right okay. yeah exactly as we know all right can it everyone you too bat dog i am medusa always have been medusa and always will be medusa this is the wwf women's championship whoa. belt whoa wait a minute what look And that's what I think of the WWF Women's Championship belt. This is the WCW. I am now in the WCW. And they used to call me a Lunder Blade, but not anymore. Because this is where the big boys play, and now this is where the big girls play. Holy smokes! Medusa, the WWF Women's Championship in the belt right here on Nitro. The belt of the trash can on Nitro. I tell you what, I'm in shock. Oh, seat covers just got sucked wow. up on that one in Connecticut, didn't wow. they? Wow! As Survivor Series approached, this is how things stood. Brett was the WWF champion. However, largely at the behest of Vince McMahon, he would be ending his time with the company approximately one month after the Survivor Series pay-per-view. McMahon, having already been embarrassed before by the Alunja Blaze slash Medusa fiasco, was understandably a little concerned that his top champion would soon be a WCW employee, and was anxious to get the title off of him. His best choice to take the title, both from a storyline standpoint and in terms of appropriate star power, was Shawn Michaels, the one guy in the company that Hart had legitimate problems with and was not interested in losing to. Oh, and Survivor Series just so happened to be taking place in Canada, Hart's home country where he was and still is revered as a national hero. Got all that? (laughs) So... Here we are. We're yeah, now we've been a days little bit redundant with some of the things we've said, but right. Well, we're recapping every single thing because yeah, now okay. we're we're literally days before the pay per view. They cannot agree on what the finish of this match is going to be. Um, Vince is, is continuously calling Brett and trying to convince him to lose to Shawn Michaels and drop the title. Brett doesn't want to do drop it. the belt, pal. I mean, this is a big recurring thing in almost all major wrestling moments in history, it seems like. Trying to figure out what the finish is going to be, like, the day of the match still. (laughs) You know, Brett is offering all kinds of other solutions, which we've covered. Yeah, I mean, the way he talks about it, it does seem like he was being very uh, political and diplomatic about it. And, you know, he really only kind of had this personal issue with Sean, and that was his whole, really, reason... 
it, but even his uh, negotiating was like very fair. It was like it seems like though it's one of those things where I could see him kind of being against the idea and saying that at first, and then when the pushback he comes from Vince, he kind of like digs harder against yeah. it. Like, well, Vince is like kind of he kind of gets annoyed at Vince's response to him at first saying no. So then he kind of even takes a harder stance of no. You know what I mean? It starts right. out where he's kind of like, I don't really want to do that. And then it's like, no, I'm not doing that. Now he does claim too, that like leading up to the match, he admits that he kind of felt like something could happen. Yeah. Well, we talked about the Medusa thing, but also what Eric Bischoff and Nitro had was a one hour head start because they started at eight. Raw started at nine in those days. So, Vince was also afraid that if they didn't take the title off of him, that Bischoff so would Nitro then announce was, yeah. at the beginning of Nitro that they had signed the WWF champion. Oh, yeah. So if he's still the champion right. and he signed a contract, that wouldn't be a lie. They could just flat out say it. And in fact, the, the, you know, the day after Survivor Series 97, they do kind of basically just announced that Brett is coming and everything. And Nitro was three hours? Is that right? Um, Yes. Wow. I think Nitro had gone to three hours by that point, but I'm not 100% but sure. Well, even if it didn't, at some point it was three hours, right? Yeah. So, I mean... It may have only been eight to ten at that time, but it eventually know, went to eight to 11. Just a good kind of point there that a three-hour wrestling show is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what happens is, um, as we kind of learned from Sean himself, you know, uh, he kind of attributes it to Triple H first throwing out the idea yeah. that they just, if, quote, if he's not willing to do business, then we'll have kind to do business for him kind of thing. About, I mean, it's like, there is just such, all these stories and legends about uh, Triple H and how he is and him being involved behind the scenes. And it's like, you know, we go over this thing where it's like Triple H isn't really, he was never really like a Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart or Ric Flair. He was never really that guy. Right. And it's just like, it is weird to hear the story Shawn Michaels telling about this big event and the things going on behind the scenes leading up to it. And Triple H is involved in the conversations. Now we know it's uh, Shawn Michaels like best friend or whatever, but it still seems Weird to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think by that point, all of the members of the clique, right. which would include Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Diesel, and 123Kid, uh, had kind of gotten Vince's ear. So even though right. tri- on screen Triple H had yet to really ascend to that level, that level, he was kind of involved in talking to Vince a lot, I think, by that point. Yeah. So... It was kind of, That's just so funny. It's like, you know, the way that his career plays out going on to marry Vince's daughter and just like always kind of like always in the mix. Yeah, always in the mix, but it, and it's just like you hear Shawn Michaels telling this story from whatever it is 20 years ago and it's like he's just bringing up how Triple H is kind of the one throwing the idea out yeah, there. Well, you know, if he's not willing to do the job, I mean, then we got to take matters into our own hands. Now, I mean, I will say that like the accounts as to what happened in the lead up to the match do vary from it's still source unclear, to source. But it also seems like I don't think a lot of people are like lying or being disingenuous as much as 
it just seems like there was a lot of like confusion. Yeah, and plus memories right have a way of kind of changing and I mean the amount of painkillers that they were all <laughs> taking. So the night before, um Brett was working a house show in Detroit. Um I think everyone else who wasn't working that house show uh had already gone to Montreal. Um what we know for sure is that Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe and Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Patterson, Briscoe, and Slaughter all being like kind of Vince's right hand men, kind of the inner circle. They all meet in a hotel room to kind of hash out what they're going to do. I don't believe that Shawn Michaels was actually at that meeting, although at that point, I think he was already aware that this was something that was potentially going to be happening. Well, Shawn described this as like a mob hit, and it mm-hmm. does like very much have that feel. Yeah. Like the conspirators, the kind of like comfort, the luring in, you know? Um, it was reported uh, by the Wrestler uh, Observer Newsletter and several, I think even another source as well that Jim Ross was at that meeting. Uh, he has always denied Vehemently that. Vehemently denied that. And, you know, claimed that he had no knowledge of what was about to transpire. Um, so, again, there's differing accounts as to what who was involved, who knew, what happened. But here's the match finish as told to Brett. Th- like, Brett, all right, this is what this we've decided. This is what the plan's going to be. The ref is going to get knocked out um, in a, you know, a, a kind of a move where Sean's be- going to pull the ref in front of him. Yeah. And he he goes to the ground. Sean's going to put your finishing move, the sharpshooter, on you. You're going to reverse it. Sean is going to tap out, but the ref is going to still be knocked out. Uh, you're going to release the hold to re- try to revive the ref. And then at that point, Sean's going to get up and hit his uh, super kick finisher on you. A second ref is going to run down, but your uh, allies, the Hart family, the Hart Foundation, you know, Owen, uh, Jim Nyhart, and British Bulldog are going to stop that ref. And then DX, who at that point was. Uh, Triple H, H in China. China, they're going to get involved, and then it's going to be this whole brawl, and then it's going to be a DQ. So basically a, a, a disqualification right. finish, uh, which would involve, you know, or which would not involve the belt changing hands, and, and that's how they're going to get out of it. too, that Brett mentions in uh, these interviews talking about it, that while he had some suspicions that something could, like some funny business could go on, he really tr- he really kind of points out that he trusted uh referee Earl Hebner. Right. Um Earl Hebner was going to be the referee. Uh he had had like a long friendship and relationship with Brett. You know, he figured that in order for a screw job finish to take place that Earl Hebner would have to be in on it so he kind of figured, you know, Earl's I can trust gonna, him. Yeah. But that's another one of those details of the story that's kind of like up in the air and like you're not really sure it's like when did earl hebner know brett's under the assumption that he was pulled aside right before going out there right um some accounts have sean telling earl hebner earlier sunday afternoon and then there's some accounts i think earl himself said that he didn't know until he was already in the ring and got it in his ear Right, because they wear the earpiece, and there's like communication to the yeah, back. Yeah, I, I read yeah something about it saying that the one account of Sean telling him early in the day, under the guise of like, oh, we're pulling like a big swerve tonight. But it, I just if if Brett really trusted Earl Hebner, 
I think if it was early in the day, Earl would have gone up to him and been like, hey, so what's this big swerve tonight? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because the point usually, if it's a big swerve, the point is not usually to fool the other person involved. You right. Know? You're fooling the audience collectively. So what ends up happening is the ref, Earl Hebner, does take the bump, but instead of staying down, gets up almost immediately and when Sean puts the sharpshooter on Brett, Vince can be heard, you know, at ringside because for some reason Vince and other WWE officials start standing around ringside. They follow throughout the match. Well the match the match has a weird start because the bell doesn't ring. They have like a pre match scuffle. Yeah, that, a brawl like, that goes all right. around yeah, into the so audience. And during whatnot. this, it it feels and looks weird right away because Vince and some of his other like henchmen dudes and refs are just kind of following them around. It doesn't really look right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Brett has stated like in I think his book and whatnot that, you know, he first started to feel kind of suspicious because it didn't really make sense that Vince would be at ringside just and, kind of standing around. You know, up until recently Vince had been a commentator. Yeah, and I mean I think in I guess in Brett's mind, he was trying to justify it. Well, you know, they had to do the stuff where they went into the crowd a couple of times, and Sean had been doing all of that anti-Canada stuff and, like, desecrating the flag and whatnot, so they were maybe afraid that a riot could potentially break out or that Sean that's would actually get attacked. Heat. So, I don't know. So, the, maybe that's why there was all these extra officials everywhere, but... It kind of has a weird feel to it the whole time. There are a ton of people walking around the yeah, ring. Yeah, it is strange. And so what ends up happening is Vince yells for Mark Eaton to ring the bell, ring the fucking bell. Right. Well, when Sean or when Sean has Brett in the sharpshooter, but Earl Hebner motions, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he hops out of the ring immediately, runs out of the building. And hides in his hotel, basically, <laughs> until the next morning because he's yeah. afraid of what's going to happen. Uh, in the immediate aftermath, Sean acts like he's confused, too, because the plan is basically to act as if he wasn't in on it and that only Vince knew what was going to happen. Well, and and to, so Vince can take the heat from everybody. To make the implications of this clear to everyone, it's not like this is just something that Bret Hart is going to take personally. I mean... There's other people in the locker room that work for this company that are really going to take this as like, what the fuck? How yeah. are you going to do this to one of your most loyal guys? Yeah, and I mean, because basically uh, a big part of pro wrestling is based upon trust. I mean, you yeah. have to... It's for the boys in the back. Have to protect your opponent in the course of a match. Everything is supposed to be as safe as possible and you know finishes are worked out and agreed upon and you have to you know stick with the script and any kind of like change to that is you know should be worked out amongst the people doing it and it's just like something like this just isn't done i mean it's kind of a blatant you know disregard of any kind of trust right. between the people involved and it's just a lot of the people you know a lot of the wrestlers on the roster, you know, were upset by this and, and uh, you know, understandably, like, took it the wrong way. So this kind of explains the whole thing as to why uh, Sean and Vince wouldn't really want Sean to look like he knew about this. You don't right. really want to send him. You don't want to send your guy who you're, you know, es essentially making the face of the company at this point in time. 
go back to the locker room and everyone's like, how the fuck could you do that, man? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he was already not very well liked by a lot of the locker room at this point, you know, due to kind of um, some drug issues that kind of fueled his uh, very like asshole personality. Yeah, it was a little ostentatious, a little abrasive maybe, yeah. And so, you know, Brett kind of flips out. He destroys a lot of the monitors and a lot of the uh, property. He spits in Vince's face. Uh, that's a pretty gross <laughs> <laughs> and, image. And, you know, famously traces the letters WCW with his finger in the ring while mouthing it to the audience. Um, oh, none yeah. of this is really picked up on camera. As you heard on the clip, it kind of abruptly ends the pay-per-view. They're they're rushing out. And, you know, right. they, they basically give the belt to Sean and he's running out of the arena at this point, now, basically. We just watched this, uh, but the pandemonium at the end, I kind of, it's like, it's hard for me to remember like what all is being said at the end. What, how is Jim Ross explaining this to the audience? I mean, he's just like, you want to talk about controversy or oh, something? Yeah. Like, I don't think. I, I mean, I think to if someone, you're not if in on it, it's kind of hard to figure out what the hell even happened. Right. I mean, I was, I had just turned fourteen when this <laughs> happened. I got this pay per view, and I think I watched it by myself. Sadly, I don't a know real if, cool dude. <laughs> I think it was kind of a last minute request granted because oh, it, it yeah. just been my birthday i was I like can i just get this yeah i had a couple uh yeah yeah really like basically begging my parents <laughs> to get a wrestling pay-per-view that i'd watch by myself my dad would would stick it out for like the first hour and then be like all right enough of this horse shit <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah i watched this and i can't really remember what i thought at the time i i think i just assumed that nothing weird happened yeah but i don't know what well, I think, like, without the benefit of DVR or whatever, I mean, I guess you could have been recording it on a... I don't think I did, but Okay, but it's like, so without the benefit of being able to rewind, maybe you just start thinking to yourself, like, I don't know, did he tap out? Maybe he tapped out. Well, see, this predates the use of tapping out very often. Oh, okay. They weren't even doing that much. They basically would do, like... They would, you know, the ref would call it. The, well, right? They would say the 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 idea would be that they would submit or they would say I quit or something, and the ref ah, yes. you would not hear them say it. The ref would just react, and that would be okay. It. So then, so it's like much more believable. Yeah. So like winning by submission like wasn't as animated as it would later become under the influence of UFC, which kind of right. changed what that looked like. So yeah, I mean, there wasn't anything particular, but other than the fact. That right as the bell is ringing is when Brett is finally kind of forcing the reversal that he thinks is about to happen. Yeah, that is true. It does look strange. Yeah, because at almost at the exact moment the bell's the ringing, Sean, Sean kind is of, kind of falling out of yeah, it. Yeah, he like flops over. Yeah, it does. Although it is funny, like I had never really seen that uh, clip where you know with Brett's explanation kind of next to it, where he's like. Sean's applying the sharpshooter incorrectly and Brett like instructs him to do it the right way. Yeah, he's like no, the other way. Yeah, <laughs> really helping him out, you know, right before this horrible betrayal. And of course, captured in the documentary Wrestling with Shadow or Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows, uh we kind of see what goes on in the locker room after this and we don't actually see Brett punch Vince, but it's a well-documented thing. Vince, I think, knew 
going in that this was going to happen. He basically he tells Sean <laughs> that if he wants to hit me, I'm going to let him. Yeah. It's kind of like he's accepting that this is you know, not a great thing that they had to do, but he felt like he had to do it to save the company. It's about and what's best for business. That's <laughs> what I always say. And, you know, there's a scuffle. You know, I think Shane is there trying to get involved because obviously his dad's getting oh, punched. Yeah. And How old was he at this I point? I mean, he was pretty young. And, you know, I mean, uh, he would be on TV as a character not that much further after this. Only a couple of years probably, right? Right. And, you know, I think Vince ends up, like, stepping on... After when he's punched and then trying to like get up, he ends up stepping on Joe Briscoe's and foot and like his ankle. yeah, and he, he sprains. I mean, it's like a whole comedy of errors going <laughs> on, and just like Brett's wife is screaming at Triple H, like, oh, yeah. "What did, did you know about this?" Oh, and she like, knew he did, just like the rest of us <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's quite a show going on, and you know, Sean and Brett are in the same locker room at that point, and Sean's still like pleading innocence and you know you know more recently once everything's come to light brett's saying yeah i didn't really believe him but i didn't really what are you supposed to do i mean he didn't really know what to do at that point he said that you know if he would have you know gone after sean and then later found out that he didn't know then he would have felt terrible so he just kind of was like well but you know it led to a lot of uh bad feelings and you know they mocked brett on raw the next night with like a I guess the politically correct term would be little person coming out dressed up as Brett. And oh, yeah. It was a whole thing, and they got a lot of heat. Obviously, Sean's still pretty hated in Canada to this day. And, you know, it, a couple weeks later, Brett would show up in WCW, and pretty much his career would be over at that point because WCW didn't really know what to do with him, and it kind of just, you know... It he, is weird that, yeah, it's like, you know, especially not me watching that much when i was younger like or through the bret hart era but it is like such an iconic character and really such a worker and so dedicated to the business and it's like his career just ends so unceremoniously yeah i mean he got kicked in the head by goldberg although and got if, a concussion if Shawn michaels hadn't come back and ho- had this whole other resurgence his would have ended it's like if his just ended with the you know lost to stone cold and then getting punched by Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, uh, Sean would only hold the title until WrestleMania of the next year, which was in March. And There was a real black cloud over yeah, this whole Montreal He uh, thing. injured his back very badly in a match against uh, The Undertaker at Royal Rumble. and would go on to miss four years. Yeah, it kept him out of action. He basically retired and then was able to make kind of a miraculous comeback four years later. And most importantly, we got the kind of face-to-face interview with Vince and Jim Ross where it's the infamous Brett Screwed Brett interview and you can still see the remnants of a black eye. And that kind of turned Vince McMahon into the uh, Mr. McMahon character. There's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business that when someone is leaving, that they show the right amount of respect to the WWF superstars in this case, who helped make you that superstar. You show the proper respect to the organization that helped you become who you are today. It's a time-honored tradition, and Bret Hart didn't want to honor that tradition. And that's something I would have never, ever expected from Bret. Okay, so here's 
where it gets interesting. <laughs> Anybody who's stuck with us this long is like, oh, finally. finally yeah. <laughs> Even though that's a lie, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. So after everything we've said, was the Montreal Screwjob a work or a shoot? <laughs> uh, so is the question, right? A lot of people in the business uh, believe it's all been a work, a well-orchestrated, very stuck-to work. I'll say this: that if, Bret Hart if it's was a, in on. If it's a, I don't believe Bret Hart is that good of an actor. I'll tell you what: all the shit we watched. I mean, he's pretty emotional about all this. Sean yeah. too. I definitely don't think a majority of people believe this, but there are definitely a, a fair amount. And I mean, you can kind of tell that this was like a burden to carry for Shawn Michaels too. I think I, I do think that some of it comes from people being so jaded with the business that they kind of assume that anything on TV yeah is a work. If that it's like, on TV, it's a they, work. They may have been fooled by something earlier oh, yeah. in their career and then found out that they were getting worked and then shut off the idea that anything could ever be real. Yeah, like you, a young Matt would go on to believe that <laughs> Stephanie McMahon and Test were getting married. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Although, to be fair, the way that angle went, putting her with Triple H, then they did get married. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it does... Uh, Art does imitate life, and life imitates art. Absolutely. Um, and I think you could make a case because for it to be fake, a work, because the result, you have to kind of look at how it all plays out. It's like, all right, at the time, Sean was a heel, so it puts heat on him. Brett gets to go to WCW without having actually lost the title clean. Everybody knows that he's screwed out of the title. He gets to be this ultimate babyface who didn't lose the WWF title and kind of can carry his own momentum into WCW as that character. Now, granted, they didn't do anything with it anyway, but... Oh, right. So he kind of... It kind of kills two birds with one stone. Like, they get the title off of him without him actually having lost it in a yeah. fair sense. Uh, You know, it's it's possible that they were considering that a lot of fans had smartened up to the business and that if people, if they could fake people into thinking like, Oh look, you know, Brett got screwed over a, that makes our heel look like even worse of a heel. And yes, Brett gets given this kind of nice gift of being the ultimate baby face on his way out the door. And you know, maybe they were thinking that Vince McMahon could transition into a more right. on camera role. And I mean, I do think of as this, a heel. Uh, Montreal Screwjob thing. It's like just I know my memory is like a little bit distorted, and this isn't exactly how it is. But my timeline, my memory is like this match marks the end of like uh, Shawn Michaels, like still the holdover from the Rockers, like a little bit of the kind of perm looking hair the perm mullet yeah and then it's like after this it's just like you know dx stone cold yeah and it, it, you know maybe they were thinking this could be like the kind of that catalyst event that gets people talking like it'll you know tons of people are going to tune into raw the next night obviously if they're forcing bread out of the company because they're going to this edgier product maybe they're thinking this is kind of like an indication of like kind of the worked shoot kind right. of angles yeah. that they might want to start going with that kind of thing. And from Brett's perspective, this is kind of, I'm going to read another quick quote here. And this kind of, 
lends to the idea of like, well, would Brett let himself be put in a sharpshooter if he thought that the match, the screw job yeah. could possibly happen? Like if he thought right. that was a possibility, why would he let this spot happen? So here you go. Tensions and excitement were high as the wrestlers and officials congregated for Survivor Series. Hart was anxious over the match finish and had been warned of the prospect of a screw job by his brother-in-law and Hart Foundation member Davy Boy Smith, as well as Vader, who had experienced similar situations while wrestling in Japan. They advised Hart to be alert, not lie on his back for too long, kick out from pinfalls immediately as to avoid a fast count, and not allow himself to be placed in submission holds. So if that is all true, then why the fuck would he let himself be put in the sharpshooter at a climax point of the match? Okay, well, let's take another thing into consideration. Maybe he's not in on it, but maybe he's aware... Maybe he's aware that this could happen and he's going to let it play out once it's in. It kind of gives him a little, like, justification. Like, he's still mad, you know, but he's just going to kind of let the betrayal happen. Yeah, I mean, that was an idea that I had um, that in the back of his mind he knew that this was happening, but he had to, for himself and for his own mind, had to go with the idea that he wasn't going to willingly do the job for right. Shawn Michaels. Yes. Yeah, that's possible too, like kind of a, a mixture. Like he's of, going into the match like, okay, well hopefully this all plays out the way that we discussed. But then, you know, as that's starting to happen, or if this happens, then I'll react appropriately, which is yeah. to flip out. <laughs> Ultimately, I do think that this was completely real. Yeah, I do think I would agree. that Brett agreed to a DQ finish and that they set it up so that they could ring the bell and have him act, you know, look like he lost and they could just take well, the title from him and it, that would be it. Even with these people warning these things, though, it does seem like Brett does kind of, you know, when he's talking about this very uh, candidly, he's kind of like, hey, I don't, I don't really think that Vince is going to pull a move on me like that, although I won't put it past him. But then I still kind of have this ace in the hole that I don't think Earl Hebner is going to let something like this happen. Yeah, because, I mean, this is an old school... He doesn't think Earl Hebner is going to fast count him, you know? This is an old school thing from the territory days. You know, the NWA would have a touring champion that would go to the different territories. And you never know if you go to, like, somewhere, not one of the main places, but one of the outskirts territories that has some little bullshit thing going on, that they might try to get their guy you know, a win and a win in front of the audience is as good as a real win. Like you can't go against kayfabe no matter what, especially in those days. So the idea of a screw job finish was always possible. And that's why they would always try to make the NWA champion, someone that they would consider like a shooter, someone who could really work their way out of holds. Yeah. That could handle themselves, get out of holds, put holds on, get their way out of, you know, wouldn't let their shoulders be forcibly pushed down, that kind of thing. Right. Because you never knew, you never know when something like that could pop up. So, but in the idea of like these massive pay-per-views in front of massive crowds, live TV audiences, live shows every week. Are they going to risk Brett flipping out? Like the idea of a screw job finish, even in like 97 kind of seemed probably antiquated. And so he probably didn't think they could actually go through with it 
Um, because it's not like it's something that had happened in WWF before. Right. It, technically, it had, but that was not to this. That level. was the women's title, and that was. Uh, you know, nobody cared. It was, I mean, it was in the 80s. Yeah, I it mean, was it Wendy Richter. Well before the future was female. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't even want to get into what that screw job finished with because it was stupid. But right. um, it just, you know, not, uh, even if, you know, I, I just don't think that would have been at the forefront of Brett or anyone else's minds, you know, some women's match from the 80s that, may or may not have been a screw job finish too so i mean it's like the situation's unprecedented and then like some chick somewhere is like no it's not <laughs> <laughs> so if we can agree that then that it's real then did vince do the right thing ultimately well it all worked out but it took a <laughs> while to work out well from a business perspective obviously everything did work out wwf got better in the ratings to the point where wcw dropped off the map to the point where they basically went out of business and he was able to buy them yeah as you pointed out at the beginning i mean the big thing that really came out of all of it which i don't think was probably the real main intention vince mcmahon becoming the ultimate heel character well i was talking about from more of like (laughs) not just like in terms of like winning and losing against WCW, was I mean, like the actual like, did he need to do this? Like, was this the right thing to do? And I think, I think he could have trusted Brett to do the right thing after Survivor Series. I do think that, but I understand because they're in the middle of this war with WCW that they're losing at that moment. Yeah, and because of the Lunger Blaze Medusa thing that had happened only about like what a year and a half before this or whatever, there was legitimate concern and if if he somehow allowed Eric Bischoff to make a fool of the title to make a fool of WWF once again I I do think it could have potentially hurt the WWF to the point of no return like I I think it would have been damaging enough to at the very least set them back even farther than they were and it just he, he needed to protect his company he ultimately, you know, he calls a meeting with the talent. And he's like, I, "Look, you know, I know that some of you are going to be pissed off about this, but I, I felt like I, I did what I had to do for you, keep you all employed." Yeah, I mean, the we, this is us against them. You know, we gotta. I had to protect this company, this locker room, this title, and you know, obviously, it's not something that I wanted to do, but Brett wasn't re- willing to do business the way that you know we thought it needed to be done and so we had we had no other choice and i think you know a lot of wrestlers in more recent times have kind of agreed with that sentiment including like steve austin who right. respects bret hart you know more than anyone else almost and it's well, just Brett had a huge impact on his career yeah and it's funny though like i, I think in recent times like rick flair has been critical of what bret did which is ironic considering Ric Flair was the NWA champion when he came to WWF in 1992 <laughs> and brought the NWA title onto <laughs> WWF TV. So it's kind of hypocritical, but yep. I'm sure in everyone's own mind, their situation is unique and different, and he was completely in the right for doing it. But, you know, uh, ultimately, you know, I think people kind of understand Vince's point of view. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that but the, it doesn't make Brett any less of a victim because I, I do think and I fully believe that Brett would have been willing to lose the title 
they still had a whole other month to do it before he had started with WCW. I think he would. Yeah. I, I, he was not the type of guy. He would have never brought the WWF title on the on the Nitro, even Based if he on was the way still all the these champion. interviews go. No, it he wouldn't have done see, that. Yeah. I th- but I, I don't. Like... But I don't know that Vince didn't trust Brett. I think he just didn't trust Eric Bischoff, and he wasn't sure what Bischoff was going to do. That's true. And he didn't want Eric Bischoff to be able to go on TV and say that they had signed the WWF champion. Right. And so, in his mind, it had to be that night. Because Nitro was going to start at 8 p.m. the next night, and he was convinced that Bischoff was going to announce signing WWF champion Bret Hart. And that and, just was like, he could not deal with that. And I, But I do just feel like the biggest benefit out of all of it was probably not the, in, the ultimately intended one, which is... The, the birth of Vince is this ultimate hated uh, boss character because that carried that Stone Cold thing, which changed everything. Now, yeah, because would that have definitely happened without this? We had all been—I don't know. Most people hadn't seen this. In fact, I hadn't seen it either until more recently. But there apparently had been a tease of this character in Jim Cornette's right. Smoky Mountain Wrestling promotion. Jim Cornette, obviously, somebody who off and on relationship with WWF. He had kind of a small throwback territory company called Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That That's where Sonny came from, right? Yeah, Skip and Sonny came from there, as many others did. And WWF worked with them plenty of times, um, lent talent to them, had different people work matches for them, including big stars like Undertaker and whoever, to help them draw houses and whatnot. Um, kind of like a symbiotic relationship, almost like a minor right. league for them in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, they got involved with a storyline where Vince kind of p- portrayed like a heel and would cut heel promos. Because, you know, he was like the hated owner of w- WWF, this big right. corporation, yes. and Smoky Mountain Wrestling's like this little indie. indie thing going on. Even though, you know, obviously Vince was probably helping them out financially like he did with EC- ECW. But, and I guess, like, you know, if, if you can find track down any of Vince's, like, Smoky Mountain wrestling promos, where I think he was, like, I think Jerry Lawler was wrestling, I'm, I, I might be misremembering this, but I think Jerry Lawler was the WWF guy that was wrestling against whoever the babyface of Smoky Mountain wrestling was or something like that. And if you can, like, actually track down any of these promos, it was kind of this little tease of like that no one knew at the time because i remember like because i was reading in like old uh observer newsletters like that dave Meltzer would write about like how it was such a surprise at how great vince was at these like heel promos like no one knew that this was something he was good at and this was something he could do and this would have probably been about like 95 96 so this was kind of like the first hint that like maybe he could do something like that so yeah you know, it turned into this whole thing. I don't know if that was the, you know, if they could have possibly foreseen anything like that happening right. coming out of this, but, but like it all worked out. changed everything because at the end of the day, uh, the results for both Brett and Sean were minimal because both of their characters basically dissolved from the business. Yeah, I mean, I think you could look at it and say, all right, Sean only held the belt for a few months after Survivor Series, but you know he was able to be kind of a bigger heel for a shorter amount of time and was able to draw a big show against Undertaker at Royal Rumble. And then 
you know, having him be the guy to, to hand the ball Austin, yeah. to Austin at WrestleMania 14 was probably the best yeah. choice because it, was it, it critical. It wouldn't have been it. A, it would have if it would have been Undertaker, it would have messed up Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. And other than Shawn and Undertaker, I don't know who else would have been in that position right. to be the champion to to headline a WrestleMania to give the big moment to the Steve Austin character as he was finally like ascending to the top. So I mean, it was a short term thing, but I think it worked for Shawn Michaels to be that guy. It would not have probably worked as well with Brett, but I think they probably could have done it because Brett had faced Austin the year before that, you know, we talked about the double switch um, where Brett turned heel and Austin turned baby face. But like, yeah, I mean, you know, he, Sean was barely able to get to that match because of the back injury and, right. you know, was in a tremendous amount of pain throughout it. And then basically disappeared for four years. And, you know, by, some point in 98 WCW really kind of stopped mattering as much and Brett really never did much there yeah and then unfortunately 18 months after this Montreal screw job Brett's uh brother Owen died oh, in yeah. you know the horrible now, accident that's like just, everything really went awry for well, Brett on I a mean, personal kind level of, uh you know just a little side discussion but it's like I'm sure and it's like you know I don't keep up with like the internet wrestling community I don't like read any of this shit but it's like i'm sure this comparison's been made hundreds of times but it's like the hart family there's there's like some sort of kennedy curse going on there right yeah i was thinking like the stark family oh, from yeah yeah <laughs> Game that's of a good Thrones. one too it's, it's like, like good lord yeah because i mean it, 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 a lot it, of death yeah i mean it kind of carries on today with tyson kidd who didn't die but it's like you know it just kind of in a career cut short yeah in a completely fluke thing yeah gets like I mean, a horrible neck injury I mean, yeah, it's like 18 months later, Owen dies in a tragic accident in the ring. And then British 18 Bulldog. months after that, Brett has a stroke and like British Bulldog dies. And, you know, a lot of Brett's close friends in the business like Kurt Henning and Rick Rude both die. And just, you know, a lot of bad shit happens. But right. eventually, you know, when he has the stroke after, you know, the concussion, uh, which a lot of people connect the two although he didn't have the stroke till well after the concussion but that's when vince calls brett while he's in the hospital and they kind of mend the fence there and it takes a while because you know brett is willing to come back to be inducted into the hall of fame and do like uh the first bret hart dvd for wwe and all that stuff but like eventually he mends the fences with sean as well brett i know we you know we had our shit but there's a lot of money to be made here still are you familiar with merchandise? <laughs> I think, you know, Brett was motivated mostly from the idea that he was proud of his work in yeah. WWF and didn't want his matches to be buried and never seen. So he, he kind of was right. in favor of doing the pa- the DVD package. And it I think it took a while for him to forgive Sean, too, because their personal animosity went, you know, beyond just that event in Montreal. But, you know, Sean famously, you know, became a born-again Christian and kind of changed his whole life and you know got off drugs and tried to you know be a better person and make amends with people and i think brett was willing to give him that chance then and and now they seem to be on pretty good terms yeah and i think brett was impressed by sean's six-year run his comeback when he came run. back yeah because i mean he basically wrestled from 
2002 to 2008 or whatever it was or right. 9 yeah. I don't know I mean I mean yeah it, it seems And like he put on great matches and he was willing to put people over uh referenced that last match with the Undertaker's retirement match Yeah he had back to back WrestleMania matches against the Undertaker the second of which is considered like one of the best matches in WWF history or WWE history Loser leaves town Well I don't think the Undertaker's career was on the line yeah. It was a career <laughs> versus streak Right kind of situation so ultimately you know it all is over now and wrestling's boring and it's not really like that anymore i could yeah. never there would never be a circumstance where something like that could ever happen again i mean i pointed it out uh they've tried bit. to replicate it a f in, an infinite amount of times it's a month later wcw was doing it we, i think we talked about it in the nwo episode horrible. the thing well, yeah. was staying in hogan which made zero sense yep. and everyone hated and ruined everything. Um, I know it is funny though. It's like it's kind of fun to watch like them talking about the early days, Brett and Sean, and their kind of like rise together, like moving up the ranks to, you know, overcome this idea of like only like these big muscle dudes can be like the heavyweight contenders. Right. And it's just funny because it's like those same. It seems like people are trying to overcome that same thought today. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's kind of always been the story with uh, WWE, WWF. It's and like it's kind like, of always you know, been the struggle for the smaller guys. Um, yet they, there have been guys with, you know, huge crowd support that just can't <laughs> get to that level. Yeah, well, you know, some things never change. And Raw's three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's. That's a whole other thing. Um, so if you've made it this far with us, we truly appreciate it. Obviously, the, thank you for indulging us. Yeah. I mean, this is a little bit of a different format. If any um, of the non-wrestling uh, fans actually listen this far... It would uh, be shocking. Yeah, that would be insane, but it's like, we do have a lot of movies coming up. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's been a while since we had done a wrestling one. Uh, it will be a while... If we ever do one again, it will probably be a lot of episodes in between. And it's just like something to shake it up. I mean, for my own sake, I, I can't really speak for Matt here. It's just like I don't want to just do a movie every episode. And so I would agree with that. And we're kind of limited with how much TV we can do because uh, there's only so many shows that we're both equally somewhat familiar with I tell and that people kind of meet it's a the pop criteria show and right. i say it's a movie podcast it's pop culture yeah yeah so in order to keep it from being like 17 movies in a row you know we got to come up with some other stuff i i know of, of of at least a couple of ass clowns that enjoy the wrestling stuff so Brian bell we're happy to have you <laughs> so you know i'm willing to do it every now and again. We try to spice it up with some clips and whatnot, but And whatever. I'll say this. Cindy Lauper was involved with wrestling, okay? Right. So. Well, yeah, it's funny because the the woman that she accompanied to the ring at WrestleMania and the whole thing, Wendy Richter, Richter she was the one that got the women's title taken off of her in oh, that yeah. screw job I was referencing. <laughs> but um, if you listen to this whole thing and you're kind of bored by it or you're not really sure what's happening because you don't really know anything about wrestling or whatever – then, you know, don't worry. We're going to have uh, movies coming up fairly soon, as in the next episode. <laughs> Plus, in a couple of weeks, I'm not going to give away what it is, but we got, like, a pretty 
exciting slash timely two part episode that's going to be really fun and oh, awesome. Yeah. I'm and, excited to watch that again, actually. And we have uh, some really cool uh, ideas for the summer. And uh, in addition to the uh, mini-sodes, the Give Us a Seconds, at some point, I'm not going to say that this will be soon, but I would say at some point by the end of the summer, uh, there will probably be a at least one surprise like bonus episode, which... All that will be will be instead of just you know the regular Sunday night Monday morning new episode. There might be even another one at some point. One week you're gonna get two or something. Yeah. So I mean you know, hang Help in. Help you get through a Tuesday and a Thursday in one <laughs> work week. Something like that. Like we'll just because uh, there's so many things we want to cover. We're really excited to just talk about all kinds of shit. <laughs> Our lives suck. Okay. <laughs> You know what? Fuck you. Uh, so thanks for listening. Uh, follow the show on Twitter, Accuratus Pod. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And um, that's it. That's it. So uh, check out WWE Monday Night Raw, 8 p.m. USA Network on Mondays. Obviously, <laughs> it's three hours. It's great. <laughs> Actually, it's terrible. Um, all right. So we'll see you next time. Peace.